0: I think it's important as we begin a sermon series on prayer to let you know something about myself. I'm not a good prayer. Now what I mean by that is it's not that I just don't pray good prayers. I'm not good at praying. I don't pray like I should. I don't pray as much as you might expect. And maybe that's embarrassing. You brought a friend today and your pastor, the first thing he says is he doesn't pray much. The reality is I, I'm a, I'm kind of wired up to, to be a doer. And I tell myself that that's way more spiritual than sitting around doing nothing like prayer. Let's really fix things. Let's get after it. Let's do things. And most of my life, that's kind of what I've told myself. And that's led to all kinds of struggles and difficulty in my own life spiritually. And this is probably my biggest struggle in the Christian life is praying, praying like I should. And throughout my life, I've tried to discipline myself. I've tried journals. I've tried accountability and praying with other people to really fight against that. And what I've noticed In all my years as a Christian, never once have I become a better prayer because of grit or discipline, or some sort of plan that I've laid out for myself, or accountability. Most often, the seasons when I pray the most and am most active in prayer Is when I am in situations of desperation. When God has brought into my life certain situations that I know I can't do anything about. I can't fix this situation. I can't change this person. I can't do anything about what's going on. And I've been driven to my knees in prayer. I was thinking this week just of the times in my life where I've thought, man, I really had that praying thing down and I was really praying. I was really engaged in prayer. And one time I was thinking about was the, the summer before I was getting married. And I just remember today and I were apart. I was in Tennessee. She was in Orlando and I spent so much time praying. This better really happen. I, I want to marry this woman. And I just pray, I prayed all summer as we were away. God, please like, This has got to happen, and I remember being uh, in prayer all summer as we were apart, and I remember with each of our children when we found out that Danae was pregnant, and when your child's in the womb, you have no control over that, you have no control over their health or what's going on there, and you are forced to pray for this person that you love so much, and thinking about the time when we were... uh, in the process of adopting Isaac and Jonah from Ethiopia, and we were sending paperwork uh, uh, over there to Ethiopia, and there were people that were making decisions and processing paperwork, and we had no idea what was going on for about nine months, and all we could do was pray. I was thinking about during the time during COVID, as we were trying to figure out here, how, what all was going on and how we were supposed to respond to that. And I remember just the the Sundays where we didn't meet here and how agonizing that was, and how that drove me to desperate prayer. And and it just seems as though anytime I've said, God, I want to be better at praying, there is something that comes along in my life that forces me to have to pray. So I don't know what's going to happen this summer. As we spend this time in prayer, I would just say buckle up in your own lives, uh, because I genuinely believe this is how God teaches us to pray, is he puts us in situations where we have to be so desperate that we can't do anything else but to cry out to him. Biblically, I think prayer begins in desperation. And we will not pray if we are not desperate. I mean, think about the times in your own life when you have prayed the most. Think about the seasons in your life where you have been the most engaged in prayer. Think about the things that you have had to pray for. There are things that you were desperate for, that you were helpless And this is what we see in the scripture, is that prayer begins in desperation. And so if you want to be better at praying, you've got to ask the question, am I desperate? Am I desperate? And do I understand the state of my desperation? In Genesis chapter 15, we read Of the first promise that God gives man. After sin and death enter the world. And the world is cursed with sin and death. God gives us a promise as he is speaking to the serpent. And he tells the serpent there is one who is coming. Although you have brought sin and death into the world. There is one who is coming who will crush your head. And we see this. The the Bible begins with with this promise that God gives us amidst sin and death, amidst this desperate situation that we find ourselves in. And then Genesis chapter 3 ends, and Adam and Eve, they leave the garden, and they're probably expecting, when is this seed going to come? They've been cast out of the garden. When is the one who's going to come and fix this problem? And there's probably desperation in their hearts as they see Cain and Abel born. And then Cain kills Abel. And they realize neither of them were the seed to come and crush the serpent's head. And then we begin to see in Genesis chapter 4 as sin spirals out of control. And then there's another child born, Seth. And then right after he is born, It must begin to settle in. The seed born of woman who's going to fix all of this is still yet to come. And in Genesis chapter 4 verse 6, we read, At this time, man began to call on the name of the Lord. That's where prayer begins in the Bible. Genesis chapter 4 verse 26 When man began to call on the name of the Lord. And what is going on there? There is a sense of desperation that God still has not fulfilled this promise. The seed born of woman who will be this victorious king is yet to come. And so as we begin this study and we ask what is prayer? I think that we find it in that context. Prayer is calling out to God. We might even say pleading with God to do what he has promised to do. That is the heart of prayer. And as we're going to talk about, there's all kinds of things that flow from This aspect of pleading and crying out to God to do what He has promised. There's confessing, there's lamenting, there's praising, there's thanking. That's all involved in prayer, but it is rooted in asking God to do what He has promised to do. That that is the, the call of the Bible from beginning to end as men continue to call out on the name of the Lord. And when we get to Genesis chapter 12, this promise gets a little more specific. God adopts a man named Abram who is a moon worshiper in Ur and he tells him that this promise that he promised in the garden is going to come through him. That out of Abram he's going to make a great nation. He's going to bless him and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. The seed the victorious king promised in the garden will come through Abraham. Abraham has a son named Isaac to his barren wife, Sarah. And then Isaac has Jacob. And Jacob has a son named Joseph. Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery. And then Joseph ends up having influence With the Pharaohs in Egypt. And this promise to Abraham is being fulfilled through Joseph in Egypt, as he is even being blessed among the nations, and he is blessing the nations in Egypt. But after a time, Joseph dies, and his influence in Egypt wanes, and then the people of God, who have grown in number, this promise to Abraham continues to grow in number. It seems as though God is fulfilling this promise to Abraham. All of a sudden, the children of Israel, the children of Abraham are enslaved and they're being killed. And that's how the book of Exodus begins. It begins bleak. And as we remember throughout the book of Genesis, this promise that God is fulfilling in the world, we get to the first part of Exodus and we see slavery, we see the killing of children, we even see the hero of the book, Moses, who has been driven from power and he's out in the wilderness. And the question is, has God forgotten his promise to his people Has God forgotten the promise in the garden? Has God forgotten the promise to Abraham? Has God forgotten the promise to Isaac? Has God forgotten the promise to Jacob? Has God forgotten the promise to Joseph? Has he forgotten this promise? Because it looks like the promise is coming to an end. And once again, we see men calling out to God in prayer. And we see this reality again of what prayer really is. It's calling out to God to do what he has promised to do. And we see that in Exodus chapter 2, beginning in verse 23. First of all, we see we pray because we are helpless. Notice verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. Now, this was uh, the king who was after Moses, we see in chapter one. But more than that, what, what the what Moses is trying to tell us here in this during this many days, the king of Egypt died. He he's setting up this re- reality that the Pharaoh that is now ruling is far removed from the legacy of Joseph. Joseph was blessed in Egypt. Joseph had influence, and now we are. Far away from the days of Joseph, there is another king. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. And here we begin to get the heart of prayer. The word groaned, it means to sigh with sounds of misery. And most often it is associated with oppression, with persecution, And here the people of God, they are in slavery in Egypt. They have no influence and power. And here they are groaning. And this is an intense, collective, audible cry from all of the people of God because of their slavery. This isn't what God promised. We are to be a nation, a people who are blessed. And here we are making bricks for Pharaoh. And notice the emphasis here. They groaned because of their slavery. And then hear the wording. They cried out for help. This is a desperate plea in a state of helplessness. And, And we're beginning to see the heart of prayer. Where prayer begins. It begins in desperation. It begins when you understand that you are helpless. And notice again, their cry. Their plea for rescue from slavery. They are helpless. They are desperate. And this is where prayer begins. They need God to do what He said He would do. And notice their prayers came up to God. Referring to God who is in heaven, the promise-keeping God of Israel. And throughout the Old Testament, we see prayer and worship is described as incense or or smoke that goes up to God in in worship. That is what our prayers are to to, to remind us of. This smell, this aroma that God loves to see, that God loves to hear is our prayers. And the prayers of the people of Israel have reached God in heaven. But notice where they come from. They come from a state of helplessness. And so first of all, prayer naturally flows from a state of helplessness. That's why it's so unnatural for us. Because we don't believe we are helpless. We don't live in a state of helplessness. This is why in Paul Miller's book, The Praying Life, which you should get and read this summer, he he talks about the, the reality that we can only learn to pray if we learn our helplessness. This is why I believe so often and notice just from experience that older folks, more seasoned folks, are way better at praying. And it's not really because they're more spiritual. It's not because they're more disciplined. It's just when you are young, you think you control everything. When you are young, you, you think you got this. It, whatever it is, I've got a plan in my head about what my life's going to look like. I know when I'm going to get married, I know how many kids I'm going to have, I know what job I'm going to get, and I have this picture in my head of what life is going to look like. And then throughout life, those things don't happen for you. Throughout life, even when those things do happen, you realize they don't satisfy you. And there's all kinds of difficulty amidst all of those things. And life doesn't turn out to be the way that you want. And you're hurt. And you realize, I can't control my life. And I don't have any control over my happiness. If this or that happens to make me happy. And over time, you realize that anxiety is just, it's just useless. Why am I getting worked up about this? And so many Christians, seasoned Christians, they realize you just got to pray. Prayer is what you've got to do. That's the only thing you can control is praying. And it's not as though as you grow in Christ, you get less sinful. It's not as though when you grow in Christ, you get more disciplined. Most often as we grow in Christ, we see our sin more vividly. We grow in Christ. We see our weaknesses more clearly. It's not that we're less sinful. We just realize I am really, really weak and I have very little control. And this is how we learn our helplessness. And this is what drives us to prayer. What keeps us from praying is the facade of control and strength and wisdom that we have. What keeps us from prayer is pride. And today, your pride is what is blinding you from how scary the world really is and how out of control you really are. The reality is you have no control over the next seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks of your life. You have absolutely no control over it. You can't stop World War III from happening. You can't stop the economy from crashing. You don't know if you're going to make it to work on time tomorrow. You don't know if you're going to make it to practice, to school. You don't know that. And you have a facade of control and wisdom in your mind as you plan those things out. But in reality, they are out of your control. And it's that pride that keeps you from praying about those things we don't know when death will come you don't know the test results you don't have any control over the other drivers on the road their skill or the decisions they're going to make you don't know when death will come for you and you can't change or control other people sometimes your words seem to influence them most often your words don't really matter And you have no control over others. And you can't change others. But we live in this facade that we really can control and know what's going to happen in our lives. And this is where we have to learn to pray. And admitting, I have no control over it. I don't know what's going to happen next. Next. And this is where we have to understand, when we feel helpless, we're not hopeless. Because there is a God who does know what's going to happen in the next seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years of your life. He knows every second. He knows every moment. And he controls it. And so you're not hopeless even though you are helpless and this is what drives us to prayer to the one who knows controls and ultimately delivers us we pray when we realize we are helpless we also pray because we have god's promises notice verse 24 and the god and god heard their groaning and god remembered his covenant with abraham with isaac and with jacob notice the way god is described here he heard Moses, who's writing Exodus, wants us to understand that there is a reaction to our prayers. There is a reaction to the people's prayer. God heard it when they prayed. There there is something that goes on in God where he leans in to listen here. This word heard we get from the word heed, which means to listen and do. And as the the people's prayer comes up to God, he hears it and he's ready to do something. He hears their groaning, their sighs of desperation. And notice it says God remembered. It's not as though God forgot what, what was happening to his people. Oh yeah, I forgot about them. They're in bondage. They're in slavery. Let me do something. No, The word remembered here is that he is, at this moment, mindful to take action in light of, notice, his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, his promise to them. In Genesis chapter 15, one of the most amazing scenes in all of the Bible as God is making this covenant, he's literally cutting a covenant with Abraham. And he tells Abraham to take all of these animals and you put them on the altar and you cut them in half. And this is the way people made covenants. They made promises with each other this way. And and the blood of the animals and and the carcasses of the animals symbolized if you break this covenant, this is to happen to you. Your blood is to be shed. You are to be sliced in half and judged. And what happens is As Abraham is waiting on God to solidify the covenant, Abraham falls asleep. And as Abraham falls asleep, there's a scene where the Spirit of God moves through the animals, moves through the blood. And what is God telling Abraham there? I will fulfill this promise, and it has nothing to do with you. I will do it no matter what you do. As Abraham is asleep. And here in these moments as the prayers come up to God. They realize that this covenant is totally dependent upon God. They are helpless. And God remembers this covenant. He remembers his commitment to Abraham. To Isaac and to Jacob that has been passed down. And he will keep the covenant. That's when Moses goes to the people of Israel and Egypt, and and he's going to rescue them. And he asks God, he says, who do I tell you, Uh, who do I tell them that you are? This God who has sent me to be a rescuer, what is your name? And he says, I am who I am, which means I do what I say I will do. The God who has said he would fulfill his promise to you is here and he is going to do it. And this is why we pray. We see the result of the prayer. They cry out to God. God remembers his promise, and he is going to act in light of the promise. And that's why we pray, because he has given us his word, he has given us his promise to actually do something. And this is why your prayer life must be word centered, it must be promise centered. Because we are asking God to do what he said he would do. And most often in our prayer life, we are trying to tune our hearts, what we want in the moment, to what God has said. And what God has said he would do. The word of God reveals God's will for the world, for our life, for everything. And so in prayer, we are taking the Bible and we are saying, God, tune my heart to what you have said. And what you're going to do and what your will is as we express our desires. God, God, shape my desires into your desires. But I want you to notice something here. Notice that the Exodus, as you'll see throughout the rest of the book of Exodus, is initiated by the prayers of the people. Deliverance from Egypt is initiated by prayer. This is where the story hinges. There's slavery. There's the killing of the firstborn. Moses is out in the wilderness. The people pray and everything begins to change. The story hinges on their prayer. Moses eventually leads the people out of slavery. Yahweh defeats the pagan gods. Pharaoh is humiliated as God passes over the sins of Israel and kills the firstborn in Egypt. And then his armies are destroyed at the Red Sea. But it all hinges on prayer. Some of you are going to ask this question as we move through this series. Why pray if God already knows what's going to happen? You're going to ask, why pray if God is already going to do what he's going to do anyway? And here you might say, why pray if God has promised to do what he said he's going to do anyway? God's going to do what he said he's going to do. Why do I have to pray about it? And here's why. God only does what he says he's going to do when we pray. Prayer is folded into the purposes of God that way. Understand this. There are things that God has ordained in the world and in your life that will only happen if you pray. This is how his will is unfolded in your life. Through your prayers. This is how God's sovereignty works with our prayer life. He has ordained our prayers. And so what does that mean for you? I see the promises of God. I need to pray for them. God has said he's going to do this in his word. I, I need to ask him to do it. This is how God's will and promises are unfolded in our life. It's through prayer. The story hinges on prayer. Our story hinges on prayer. This is how the gospel works, Right? The the, the promise to Abraham comes through the seed, who is eventually Jesus, who dies on the cross, defeats sin and death on the cross, crushes the serpent's head on the cross. He lives a perfect life in our place. God has raised him up from the dead. He's seated at the right hand of God. And he promises, when you ask, you will be forgiven of your sin. When you ask, you will be accepted according to Jesus' righteousness. When you ask, you will be given his resurrection, and you will be raised from the dead. When you ask, you will be given the kingdom of God and rule and reign with him forever. And so although God is working and unfolding his plans and purposes and even promises to you out in the world, they are not yours until you ask by faith. That is the way the gospel works. And that's the way your prayer life should work. You've got to understand that God's going God's to order his purposes, his plans. The mission in the world is going to be accomplished, but you're not going to be a part of it until you pray. You won't be folded into it until you ask. And all of God's promises in Jesus are yes and amen. And along the way, As we're going to talk about through this series There's all kinds of things in the word of God That God has promised you As a Christian Someone who is in Christ He has promised He will always give you what you need What you need He will give you food He will give you clothing Until you're dead You will have what you need Until you die He has promised that to you Are you asking him for it when you're struggling to believe that, that you're going to have what you need, are you asking? He's promised to do that for you. As a Christian, he has promised that, that everything you encounter, everything that you endure will unfold for good in your life and ultimately conform you into the image of Christ. He has promised to give you what you need and make you more like Jesus. Are you asking for that? <laughs> When you suffer, as we went through James, how can I suffer like Jesus? How can this make me like Jesus? Those are things he has promised to do in our lives when we ask him. And so in every circumstance, we take the promises of God, and we might say, God, this is what I want. I'm not, I'm not sure if this is in line with your will. Let me read your promises. Let me align my heart with your promises, and we ask God To fulfill his promises. So we pray because we are helpless. We pray because he has given us his promises. And we pray because we are known. Notice verse 25. Notice this is such a powerful verse. God saw the people of Israel. Notice how this description is unfolding. God heard. Do you mean God has ears? (laughs) He's described as a human who leans in to listen. And then he remembers. He's mindful to take action. And then notice this powerful phrase. God saw. In hearing the prayers, in remembering the covenant, he looks down upon his people. He sees them. He turns his eyes to them to do something. And there is significance here. The people of Israel are God's chosen people. And the Bible even describes them as the apple of his eye. And here he sets his gaze on his people to do what he has promised to do for them. He turns and he looks at them, the people of Israel. And then notice it gets even more powerful. God knew. He knew. It's not as though he received uh, some kind of information that he didn't have before. No, what is being communicated here is God is about to get personal in their situation. He hears, that's personal. He remembers the, the promise he made with this specific people. He looks down specifically on his people. And then he knows. And the word know means to, to have intimate knowledge of and, and some Translate it, concerned for or care for. Notice how God responds to the prayers of his people. He's not frustrated. He's not irritated. But because they were desperate, he is concerned and he is caring. Notice the progression, though, even in this verse. Notice first. He looks, but then he knows. He looks to know. And this is before he does anything, right? It's not as though the prayers of the people reach God and then there was some sort of magical transaction and everything was made right. No, God is slow and this description is slow. He turns his eyes to know, to be engaged in what is going on. And what is Moses communicating here? Everything that God is about to do for his people, he does from the context of a relationship with his people. He does so from knowing them, caring about them. And if God just magically made everything right and no one knew who in the world is doing this, that's why Moses, when he, when he goes before the Pharaoh, he is declaring, this is the Lord God who is doing this. This is God who is bringing your little gods to the ground. This is God. I want you to know who is delivering the people. I want the people to know him, but it begins with God knowing them. He fulfills his promises from the context of a relationship. And so another point that needs to be made is prayer is not about using God, but about the experience of being known by God. I wonder today if when you think about prayer, it is just to get what you want. And you are using God. When God has wired this whole thing up in that you would pray and cry out to him so you would know what it's like to be known. You see that's what it means to be human. You're created in the image of God to know. You're created in the image of God to be known. That's what it means to be created in the image of God is to know and be made and to know and to be known. And this is what God is doing for his people here. He is treating them as those who are created in the image of God. This is why to be truly known, you must be known by God. Do you get that? Because God is the only one who can truly know you and know everything about you. And this is what he is describing here is he's gonna work and act for his people. He wants us to stop and first of all realize he knows them, he cares about them. And this is why we engage in prayer. When you engage in prayer, you are engaging in the experience of being known, of having someone who hears you, of having someone who remembers you, of having someone who notices you, Of having someone who cares for you. This is why when we neglect prayer. We experience the anxiety of being unheard. Of being forgotten. Of being unnoticed and unloved. That's the way we feel when we're not praying. When when things are going on in our life. Is anyone really listening to me? Have I been forgotten? Am I unnoticed? Am I not loved. That's what happens when we don't pray. And as a side note, I would say that is why the current state of technology in our world is so dangerous for us. Think about that. To be fully human, you must know and be known. And yet we interact with technology every day that doesn't know us, but it claims to know us. Your phone claims to know your face. You put it up in front of your face and it does things for you. Your friends on Facebook claim to know you. You, you interact with them. You, you seem from a distance to know what's going on in their life and, 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 and you claim that they know you. That's not really what is going on. That's why it presents such emptiness and anxiety in our lives because we're not being known. But the good news is God knows us. And in prayer, we engage in that knowledge. We experience the reality that we are truly known. And how do we know that God knows us in that way? Because the promise, the promise, his promise to us, took on literal ears. (laughs) The, The promise to us, God wants to make sure that we know that he hears us, that he sees us. So his promise Took on eyes. And his promise came to know us in the person of Jesus Christ. And God wants to solidify this knowledge of us that we experience in prayer to the point that when he himself in flesh, the Son of God, Jesus, cried out in the garden, Take this cup from me, it was as though he wasn't heard. There was no response. On the cross, when Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was as though God had forgot His promise. To the promise. And on the cross, instead of gazing into the perfect Son of God, who is doing the most glorious thing, the most glorious act of love, the Father turns His face away. And He judges the Son. He judges Him. And it is though He doesn't know Him. It is though He doesn't care for Him. And why is that? So that you would be heard by God. So that you would be remembered by God. So that you would be noticed by God. And so that you would experience and know the love of God. This is how intent God is to making sure that you know he knows you when you pray this is the gospel when you believe the gospel in Christ God hears you the same way he hears Jesus he remembers you the same way he remembers his promises to Jesus he looks upon you covered in the righteousness of Jesus the same way he looks on Jesus and he loves you and knows you the same way he knows Jesus And this is what you are to remind yourself of when you pray. When you pray, you have to remind yourself you are being known by God. You are being heard by God. When it seems as no one else is listening to you. Everyone around you is distracted. And you're reaching out for help. And it seems as though everyone around you is selfish. And they are consumed with with their own lives. And yet you are struggling. When you pray, God hears you. When you pray, God remembers you. There are times when you feel forgotten. And you should be driven to your knees in prayer. Remembering, He doesn't forget me in Christ. There are times that you forget Him. And you are unfaithful to Him. And yet in prayer, you're experiencing the reality that God is still faithful to you. And allowing you to come before His throne of grace. When you pray, you have to realize that God sees you. Times when you are unnoticed and you feel like you are alone. Who, who is really taking notice of what's going on in my life? Here is the promise God sees. When you pray, He loves you. How do you know He loves you? Because He knows everything about you and is still committed to you. And this is the experience of prayer. And this is, it's so important to get this right because this experience is more important than getting what you want in prayer. It's being able to go before the God of this universe and say, He knows me. If it doesn't happen, I I can put this request before God, and if it doesn't happen the way that I want, I can trust Him because He knows me. If the sickness doesn't turn out the way that I want, if the relationship isn't repaired the way that I want, if the marriage doesn't make me happy the way that I want, if I don't get the job that I want, I go before God and I pray and I know He is hearing, He is remembering, He is looking upon me, and He loves me. And so are you ready to pray? Are you ready to pray? As we move through this summer, are you ready to pray? I think you need to ask the question, are you ready to to be helpless? (laughs) Whatever that might mean in your life, are you ready to be helpless? For some of us, it just means embracing that I am helpless. I live in this facade of control. For others of you, it may mean taking risk for the kingdom of God. And I'm going to step out by faith and do things where I feel my helplessness. Do we want God to do what he has promised to do? He's going to answer every one of his promises. (laughs) All of his promises, the answer is yes. He's going to do everything that he said. Is that what you want to pray for? Or or did you think, we're going to begin a series in prayer. I'm going to get some gimmick to make me be able to get what I want. No, what the Bible teaches us is to pray for what God has said he would do. Do you want to believe that you are known by God. Because what that means is that he knows everything. What that means is you have to be vulnerable before him. Confess sin that he already knows about and loves you. How desperate will we be? That will determine how good at prayer we'll be.